All right, Ephesians chapter 4. We've been going through uh, Paul's letter written to the Ephesian Christians, written nearly 2,000 years ago, but relevant for us today. Um, we believe the Bible is God's inspired word. Um, it's not just, you know, words that Paul wrote down, but it's actually inspired by God without error and full of usefulness for us today. Um, it's our authority. Our whole church sits under the word. That's who we are as a church. And so would you be attentive as we read God's word this morning? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. I might just actually, I'm going to start in verse 1 and then skip to verse 17. All right. So, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the shows that my family, when I was still living at home, used to love watching was The Biggest Loser. Um, there's something about just the... <laughs> The incredible transformation that takes place in those contestants. They come larger than life uh, and they leave, you know, larger than life in a different way. Uh, but one of the things I love watching was, you know, the constant hard work, the, the tenacity at which they had amidst all the newness of exercising for the first time. And for some of them, eight to ten hours a day they would go at it. But then they would be, you know, trained so well by these amazing trainers, Commando and Michelle Bridges. They had the great diets. They had the gym ready to go. They had the routine, the structure, the community. Everything was kind of there for them. They had temptation, though, that they had to overcome in the house to train them for what it would be like to be out of the house and back in the real world and to see, you know, the scales every week and just the pound or, you know, the kilograms be shared from them was an incredible sight to see. But I was thinking about some of the biggest loser contestants this week, and I thought, oh, I wonder where they are now. <laughs> and not so encouraging, unfortunately. About half of them of the winners seem to be doing pretty well, but half of them have, like, put a huge amount of the weight back on. They go back into the real world amidst the new community, the temptation and the busyness of life, and they find it really hard to be the person that they were back in the house. They find it difficult to keep up the routines and the tenacity and the intensity and the perseverance they needed to remain changed. You see, change is hard, but staying changed is even harder, isn't it? 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced some kind of radical change that you brought about in your life, whether it's stopping a habit or maybe losing weight or changing your technique in sport or having to relearn new skills for work. Um, at times, you know, you can be super encouraged and impressed with yourself with how well you've gone, but then as the time goes on and the intensity wears off, the old habits quickly come back. And it's the same in our Christian walk. We've undergone a completely radical transformation, that we have become new creatures in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. No more radical trans, you know, transformation could happen except the, the one that will happen when we're resurrected in Christ. We go from being dead to sin to alive in Christ, from under bondage of sin to freedom in Christ. And we look forward to our hope in Christ. And often when we first become Christians, we have a zeal and a tenacity or maybe a time in youth group you can remember or when you first maybe joined a good church where you, you wanted to change, you, you saw the community like, I want to be like this person, this person. I'm going to read this book and read the Bible 14 times a day. I'm going to fast for half a year and then, you know, and you change and you grow and you're like, this is amazing. And then it wears off and the normal life kicks in and bit by bit you start to put the pounds back on spiritually in that sense. Old sins which you once conquered now start to become habit again. Old ways of life which you thought you were through become more tempting and desirable than they used to be. You think, what is going on? You know, how did this happen? You can imagine if, um, you know, Commando was walking about the streets of Sydney and he was walking past Donut King, and he saw one of the biggest loser winners that he helped train and win the biggest loser, like stop, scoffing down those fresh cinnamon donuts, which are irresistible. What would Commando do? He'd be going over and slapping them out of their hands and saying, what are you doing? This isn't what I trained you to do. This isn't the person you used to be. Look at you. What's going on? Well, in a sense, that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in this chapter. He's planted this church. He's preached the gospel to the Ephesians. The gospel spread throughout the area. Yet you've got all these people that were spiritually, in a sense, obese. They were piling on sin in their paganism and their idolatry. They were sent, you know, going after all manner of sin. And they've changed. They've become Christian. But now they're finding it hard to live in that new calling. You know, Paul has already told them that the penalty of their sin has been paid for in Christ. In fact, even more than that, in chapter 2, he's told them the power of sin has been broken in their life. But now they're living in the tension that the presence of sin remains. And that's our daily battle and our long-term battle as followers of Jesus Christ. We can start with enthusiasm and shed lots of things, but when we get into the grind of normal life, consistent temptation, tiredness and weakness... The power that we need, you know, the ability we need to live a new life and stay true to who God has made us to be becomes incredibly difficult. And that's where this passage comes in. This is Paul's, you know, commando moment where he smacks the donuts out of our hand and really tries to help us open our eyes again to see that the things that, you know, are so natural and so tempting and good to us are actually destructive. And the whole point of this passage is really this. He's trying to communicate to the Ephesians that knowing Christ or following Christ demands total departure from our old self and a total transformation in our new life. There's no halfway point. The Apostle Paul is leaning into the Ephesians and saying, 
because you know Jesus, you have to totally depart from your old way of thinking and be totally transformed in your new life. And to unpack this passage, we're going to go through three points. Point number one, why we must change. Point number two, how we actually change. And point number three, getting into the divine changing room. This passage is one of those passages which is geared towards application, that we ought to do things, we ought to live differently, which is a major part of the Christian life. But if you're not yet a believer here this morning and you're just investigating Christianity, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Christianity, you don't enter Christianity by clearing your life up first. By going, you don't enter the biggest loser by going to the gym and losing on your weight and then coming in strong. You enter with all your baggage, so to speak, and then you meet Christ and you lose it all. And so as you hear this message, if you're not yet a follower, don't think, oh, these are all the things I've got to do to become a Christian. No, no, no. The message of the gospel is you come to Christ and he sheds the weight off you and you get to leave all your sin behind. This is a message for those who are in Christ. How do you keep it off? Really, that's kind of the heart of this passage. How do you keep the donuts off, the spiritual sinful donuts? So point number one, why we must change. So as I mentioned, the, the Ephesian converts are just like any one of us. They come knowing Christ at various points in their life, full of temptation, habits, natural inclinations, and sin. And then they're confronted with the gospel. They become Christians, and they, they actually love Jesus, and they want to become like him, but they don't know how to do it. And that's what it means to be a disciple, is you have to learn a whole new way of living, the way of Jesus. And they have to learn what that looks like. But without God telling them in the Scriptures and without having pastors, they don't know exactly how they're meant to live. And so Paul is writing to them to give them their spiritual insight so that they can see. And it's the same for us. We need the Word of God to teach us and to unveil things because naturally we don't see it. Given over to ourselves and our normal way of thinking, our history, our past, how our families are oriented, without the Word of God we'll just almost accidentally sin. And so we need the Word of God to kind of come in and expose things to us. And so Paul then goes in verse 17 and says this. After he's been talking to them in verses 1 through 16, he's, he's saying, look, guys, live in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Look at what's been done for you, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. If you haven't read it lately, read it. That's what's been done. Now live in light of what's been done. And he says, what does this look like? It looks like unity in community. It looks like diversity in ministry. And now he's saying, this is what it looks like. It looks like purity in all of life. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. It's a very strong, emphatic. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul's command here is picking back up of verse 1. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. You must not walk as you used to walk. He's drawing a stark contrast. There's an old way and a new way. And he wants them to walk in the new way. And we're going to see why later on. Um, he's trying to draw this contrast because the old way and the new way cannot go together. There's a distinct you know, division between the two. 
To be a Christian and to live the old way is to, you know, it's to be like a freshwater stream allowing salt water in. It's no longer fresh anymore. It, it's salt. It, it's salty. It's tainted. You can't be like sort of fresh water with a bit of salt. No, if you've got salt water in it, it's now salt water. And so he's trying to say, guys, you can't be who you used to be. But walking and living in light of the old, in the new way is actually really, really difficult. And so Paul is aware that, you know, it's not going to be easy for the Ephesian Christians to do it. And so he explains to them why they must change in verses 18 to 19. He gives them the motivation. You can't walk like you used to walk. Why? Because your old way or the, the way of the Gentiles, the way of those who aren't following Christ, well, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You see, he paints this picture, this really stark picture of what it looks like to be devoid of knowing Christ. Imagine you'd never grown up, and maybe this is true for some of us, but you'd never grown up with the Bible, with Sunday school, with Scripture, with any knowledge of God's righteous and holy way. And you were left to do what your culture said or your natural inclination said. In all manners, with money, with sexuality, um, with relationships, you'd be, well, we'd be a mess. And that's what the Ephesus was like. It was orgies on the street corner, worshipping golden images and, you know, the temple of Artemis. There was stealing, lying, cheating was commonplace. Honour was massive and humility was hated. Slaves were bought and sold like property. That was their natural way of life. And not everyone was probably as bad as these verses said, but in all of our hearts is this kind of inclination. In each one of us in this room, in various degrees and various obviousness and secrecy, there's these old habits and old lurking things. And so Paul calls them and says, live in a manner worthy of a calling. You cannot live this old way. And we, we want to do it. We want to live differently, but it's so hard. I don't know, maybe it's just hard for me, but I, living God's righteous and holy way is incredibly difficult. I think it's difficult for a number of reasons. It's difficult because our old self is our natural self. It's our easy turn to. It's our instinctual way of living. We don't have to think about it. We just do it passively. Whereas the new self, you have to actively pursue and actually think about and work harder. Whereas the old self, you just do what you want to do, and it feels good. You know, I was saying to my kids this week, um, as we were doing family devotion, I was saying, sin is fun for a time. And so, you know, this call to change kind of rubs up against us because we're like, yeah, but I kind of like these old sins. I kind of, like, they're kind of fun. It's hard because sometimes we look back on the old days with fondness. Before we were a Christian, we think, man, that was a good life. Guilt-free, no one telling me what to do, not having to work hard, not having all these expectations and responsibilities. Now I'm at church and people expecting me to be a different type of person. And, ah, oh, man, maybe Christianity, like, is it that good? Sometimes we find the, find the, the process of change hard because um, we even pride ourselves on not being too holy. You know, no one wants to be Ned Flanders, holier than thou, 
And so at times, we don't even have the desire to be holy because we actually think it's a bit lame and we want to be cool. You know, we're like, I'm a cool Christian. You know, like, I'm not like one of those Ned Flanders Christians. I'm, I'm, I'm still, like, I still swear a little bit and I still, you know, I've got an edge to me. And, and we kind of look down on people that are, like, holier than thou. And, yes, blessed be you. And, you know, praying, for, oh, let me pray for you. And they pray right there and then. And, you know, you're like, oh, come on, you know, be real. And we, so we look down on people that are holy at times. Maybe that's your struggle. And then at times, it's hard to live the Christian new way of life because we don't even know what it is. We don't even realize that patterns of our life are actually sinful. This has happened to me so many times in my life where I've thought, I'm doing fine, like, there's not too much going on, and then God will just shine a spotlight onto an area of sin. I'm like, whoa, like, that's sin? I thought that was just normal. Like, that's my normal way of life. And now you're saying, I've got to change it? And then finally, we find it hard to walk in a new manner of life because we just get tired. You know, we, you know, we can go at it for some period of time, actively trying to put sin to death, but at times it's just tiring and hard and wearying, and you look at the losses more than the gains, and you think, what's the point? Well, for all these reasons, Paul is reminding the Ephesians that although the old life may be natural and normal, it may be tempting, it may look like way more fun, it may be your go-to, he's uncovering the layer, so to speak. He's pulling the mask off and saying, this is what the old way is really like. It looks appealing, but behind it all is this. Let's read it again. Behind the old way of life is a darkened understanding. Behind the old way of life is sin done because of the ignorance that is in us. Behind the old way of life is hardness of heart. Behind the old way of life is callousness and a greediness to practice every kind of impurity and sensuality. When we turn from God's new way of life and go back to the old, we're embracing a dead, ugly, festering, rotten corpse. It's like when you go to the fruit bowl and you see a banana, you're like, yes, a banana, and you get to it and it's warm and fermented and gross. No one wants to eat that. Paul's trying to say the old way of life, Gentiles, it's like that rotten banana. It may look all right on the outside, but once you get into it, it's festy. You've got to stay away. And so Paul gives them this command and he reveals to them why they must change. They must change. Because they are now united with Christ. And their new way, their following Christ, demands total departure from their old way of life and a total transformation in the new. And he doesn't want them to live that way because it will destroy them. It will destroy their joy. It will destroy their peace. It will destroy their witness and their light in the city. It will destroy their eternal life if they pursue these ways. And so Paul now turns and says, okay, don't live this old way. How do you live a new way? And he gives an incredibly practical way of actually changing our life and putting off the old and putting on the new. And that's point number two, how we actually change. Verse 20 to 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. 
What Paul is saying here is the gospel you learned, the, the message you learned, in fact, the person you learned, Jesus Christ, is not at all like that. That old way of living, that sensual, greedy, sinful, callous way, that's not what you learned. You learned the gospel. That Jesus, the perfect man, died in your place for your sins so that you could be a totally new person. You learn that the old is gone, the new has come. You've heard it, you've been taught it, you've seen it, and now he's saying live like it. He wants them to know that there's been a break. That in fact, the old way of life, although it looks tempting, is actually the wrong side of history. You see, the gospel message splits history into the right side and the wrong side. The wrong side is anyone opposed to Christ, anything devoid of Christ, anything ignorant of Christ. And the right side of history is anything that worships Christ, follows Christ, and has allegiance to Christ. There's an old humanity and a new humanity. Not you guys aren't the old humanity, don't worry. There's an old humanity and a new humanity. Romans 6 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, i.e. it's the same as Ephesians 4. Do not live in the old way of life, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That's the message that Paul taught them. That's the, assuming that you've learned this from Christ, that's what they've learned. A new thing has happened. And so now he leans over and says, guys, live on the right side of history. You don't want to align yourself with this side because it's going nowhere. You want to align yourself with Christ. So how do we live in accordance with this? How, you know, the penalty of sin is paid, the power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin remains. What do we do? Well, verses 22 to 24, he goes back and reteaches them what he taught them. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul outlines here a three-step process for Christian living. This is how we change. You know, like in The Biggest Loser, they have their diet and they have their workout regime and they have the people yelling at them and that works, it works. They get thin and if they do it, they get thin. That's what happens. And if you don't drink too much water on weigh day, you weigh less, they've got the whole program. Well, this is the, the program. This is how we do it. This is how we put sin to death. This is how we leave the old behind and walk in the new. And praise God, it's simple, um, but it's very difficult. So three steps. Point or step number one. Put off your old self, verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Again, he reminds them. He peels it back and says, the old way is going to hell, literally. It's deceitful. It wants to destroy you. You have to put it off. 
Hebrews 12 talks about laying aside every sin and temptation that you know, hinders us from running the race. But sometimes we like the old self. We like being snappy and impatient. We like a little bit of gossip. We like a little bit, just a little bit of lust. We like it. We like to you know, be able to be greedy and selfish at times because it feels good. He's saying, no, no, no. They are corrupting. They are deceiving you. Those desires have no place in your life. And here's what you have to do, brothers and sisters. You have to put them off. You can't walk with them and expect to live a fruitful, joyful, peaceful Christian life. You can't have them and hold them and think, well, I'm walking in a manner worthy of Christ with my greed, lust, pride, and vanity. It's like, oh, it doesn't work. You have to take it off. You, know, you have to enter the divine changing room and strip down, so to speak. And it puts us on the right side of history, you know, which is not what our culture says. In fact, our culture is often saying, don't be on the wrong side of history, which is like oftentimes to do with biblical righteous living, and be on the right side where it's actually the reverse. But when we get there and we're thinking, ah, do I really want to let this go, this past habit? It's like, you know, that favorite T-shirt that's got holes in it. or that fa- Like for me, it's hats. I love hats. And I think they look cool, but Maddie's like, that's a terrible hat. You look like an idiot. I'm like, no, but it's a cool hat. Like I look, I, I look cool in this hat. And she, but eventually, you know, she convinces me that I should get rid of the hat. So I get rid of the hat. But I, it's like my soul needs convincing that the hat you know, that I need a new hat. And that's step two. Uh, Step two is to be renewed in your minds. You see, we need actually, in the deepest level, obviously the hat's a stupid example, but in the deepest level, we actually need to have a change of heart so that we don't love those things anymore and we have new loves. Uh, It's likely that this step here, this second step, um, as the verse says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, it's actually passive in the sense, it's actually the Holy Spirit who does that renewing. But there's an active sense to it in that we have to kind of position ourselves to receive the renewing. Because naturally, our desires are deceitful. Naturally, our world is not going to teach us. So we have to go to the Scriptures. That's why we preach from the Bible every week, because it's God, through His Holy Spirit, renewing our minds. Constant application and study of Scripture actually washes our mind clean again. You're reading through a passage of Scripture and you're like, whoa, that hurts. Because it's confronting my natural self, what I want to do. And we find conviction of sin. Or we learn and we see something beautiful in Scripture. Like, I want to be like that. Why do you feel that? That's the Holy Spirit within you. Convicting you and showing you this is the best way to live. We need renewal in our minds. Jerry Bridges says it like this. This is the kind of renewal we need so that we want to take off the old self. We need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin God has. Hatred of sin as sin. Not just as something disquieting or defeating to ourselves, but as displeasing to God. And that lies at the root of all holiness. Brothers and sisters, unless you hate sin, you will hate the divine changing room. The only thing that will help you to do the whole thing, put off, renew, put on, is if you realize that you're wearing filthy clothes and you don't want to look like that anymore. And you know that these clothes offend your holy God, the God who shed his blood for you. That's what your mind needs to be like. That's what your soul needs to be like. 
But if you still love sin, I mean, don't even bother because you won't change and you'll just be angry and frustrated about the whole process. If you're in a kind of position where you're thinking, I really love this sin, I don't want to give it up. Well, bring someone else in. Ask for prayer, ask for accountability. Bring it to the Lord and be honest with him and say, God, I actually like doing this and you hate it. Help me to hate it like you hate it because I can't do it on my own. So that's step two, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Step number three, we're not to just now leave the change room, so to speak. You've got to reclothe yourselves with something new. So verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Not just take off, but replace the old clothes with beautiful new garments the garments of righteousness the garments that are not faddish it's not like i'm wearing the coolest new thing that came out at general pants it's no it's new timeless fashion the righteousness and holiness of god that will never change and never go old love joy peace patience kindness put them on goodness faithfulness, self-control, long-suffering, forgiveness, love. That's what Paul's calling on. He's not saying, you know, do your top button up and straighten up and make sure your bed's tidy and, you know, live a good life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you can be like God. You were made to be like God. Jesus died on the cross so that you can become like God in his character, in true righteousness and holiness. And not so that you can be like, well, look how good I am. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually like God. I'm actually quite righteous and holy like him. That's not the point. The point is we want to live like this because we love him. Our minds are renewed so that we want to become like him. And so we put the clothes on because they're his clothes and we want to copy him. It's, the op- you know, it's like fashion, but it's like God fashion. We're like, oh, he's cool. I want to wear his clothes. You look at the life of Jesus and you see how he treats people. You see how he treats um, you know, women. You see how he treats the poor, the, the, the tax collector and sinner, as we heard before. And you're like, I want to be like him. That's what we're to put on. And so the rest of the book of Ephesians actually now explores what it looks like to be in this divine changing room to put off the old and put on the new. There's going to be many, many examples throughout the rest of this letter in our speech, in our sexuality, in the way we use alcohol, in our worship, in our family life, husbands and wives, with kids, with slaves and masters, in the spiritual realm. The rest of the whole book of Ephesians is live like a new creature. The old side is passing away. You are new. Live like it. Enjoy it. And show the glory of God to the world. But we live in this reality. The tension of the now and the not yet. The penalty of sin has been broken. has been paid for. Even if you left today and committed atrocious sins and put on the old self and lived like that, in repentance and faith, your sin has been paid for. The power of sin is actually broken. You don't have to sin. You don't have to wear old clothes. The Gentiles, in that sense, anyone outside of Christ has to wear old clothes. They have to be a part of that old way of life. And if you're not yet a Christian here, you're, you're in this mix. 
You can't be sort of half Christian, half not Christian. You're either in the new or you're in the old. But for those who follow Christ, the power of sin can be broken, yet the presence of sin remains. William Klein captures this reality well. He says, Paul appeals for believers to take the necessary steps to become who they are in Christ. Paul insists that the old self was taken off at conversion and yet is in this our experience. It is still very much on. Likewise, the new self was put on at conversion. It must continually be put on in the Christian's way of life. Put another way, what was taken off does not stay off. And what was put on needs to be put on again and again. Knowing Christ, brothers and sisters, demands a total departure from the old way and a total transformation in the new way. So point number two was how we change. It's the three-step process. Point number three, going into the divine changing room. Each one of us is called to continually live out this process of finding sins that we have to put to death, renewing our mind and putting new clothes on. But it's not an easy task. Sin clings. Sin calls. The old way calls. And so you may find yourself like uncomfortable or weary in the battle. You may be thinking, I've tried this. I'm trying to put it to death. And I feel like I'm getting nowhere. I feel like every time I try and stop sinning, sin's right there and there's more temptation of it. What's going on? Am I a bad Christian? Am I even a Christian? Am I even a Christian if, you know, the old self calls to me, I feel like every day, and says, go this way? Well, J.C. Ryle sees it differently. Old Bishop Ryle says this. We may take comfort about our souls if we know anything of an inward fight and conflict. It is the invariable companion of genuine Christian holiness. Do we find in our heart of hearts a spiritual struggle? Do we feel anything of the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? Do we feel anything of war in our inward man? Well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It is strongly, it is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. We are no friends of Satan. The very fact he assaults us should fill our minds with hope. Brothers and sisters, if you are weary in the divine changing room, Know that your weariness is because you're struggling because you have the Spirit in you and because Satan is trying to take you down and your flesh is trying to take you down. The struggle is actually evidence that you're in the fight. And the evidence that you're in the fight means you're actually in Christ. And so let the struggle be a weird encouragement. <laughs> and as we enter the divine changing room, we realize that we actually have to work. Christian growth and holiness never happens passively. You can't just be, like some things happen a little bit as we're shaped and molded by a Christian community, but the active, you know, in this verse is we have to put off, renew, or be renewed and put on. We have to get to work. We can't let go and let God, just letting go and let God with my greed, just, I'll just wait for him to change me. I'm going to stop trying and start trusting. You know, that's not how holiness works. The gospel says you are saved, now live a totally different life, and you have to do it. But you have to as well be aware that in the divine change room, change is often a long process, much longer than we'd like. 
At times it can feel like we get rapid growth. We think, well, man, I've killed this. This is awesome. I don't fear man at all. I'm great. And then you get into a new circumstance and suddenly you're like, what will they think? And you check yourself in the mirror a hundred times and you're like practicing. You're like, oh, man, I thought I was done with this sin. It's like, nah, it's a long process. So don't be disheartened if you've tried to put a sin to death and it comes back. Don't be disheartened if you think like, oh, man, I'm making like minuscule growth. It's bit by bit. And in fact, it can feel a bit overwhelming. You think, oh, there's a million things in my life I need to change. Let me encourage you to, to pick one thing, uh, to choose one area of your life and maybe let the Spirit lead you or get community around you if you're, you're married or you've got good friends. Say, what do you think there's one thing in my life that I ought to change? I'm not going to get angry at you. Just tell me. What do you think it is? And then attack that with tenacity. Attack that with targeted reading and prayer. Attack that with memorization of scripture and fasting. Attack that with all you've got. And what you'll see is carryover effects into the rest of your life. By attacking one sin, many sins often die. Because the attacking of one sin leads you to continual repentance, which leads you back to the gospel. And then you're preaching the gospel to yourself. You're like, I'm forgiven of that sin, even though I gave into it today. But I realized earlier that I gave into it. Now I'm confessing and The gospel's so good, and then you start to see other sins go, I don't even want to do that because I just reminded myself of what's been done for me. And so as we go about going in the divine changing room, know that this, the struggle will always be there, that it takes a long time, and that we ought to do one thing at a time. So what does it look like in practice to do this? I can give you maybe one example of many in my life. when I was at Pastors College in the US, it was after we had the kids' birthday party, and it was, a, it was just one of these moments. We weren't thinking spiritually at all. We were just hanging out, and I just mentioned to Maddie, like, I heard some of the guys make this joke about me. I was like, oh, it's funny. They always make this same joke about, like, Riley thinks he's better than everyone. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that funny that they think that? Like, oh, this is kind of cute and charming. And she's like, yeah, you are. You do. You're, you're full of pride. I was like, <laughs> I was like, explosion of self right there. And in the next two hours, I was just like on the boxing bag hook and just getting smashed by God and the word and just reviewing my whole life, realizing, oh my gosh, I think I'm better than everyone. I think that like I'm the most important person in the room. Judged by my actions when other guys were filling up their drink bottles or washing something up in the sink, I'd come over and just go, oh, can I just use it for a second? Like I asked, like, that's pretty good. But obviously the fact that I, w- I thought that what they were doing was less important than what I had to do. I would often ask questions in the middle of class because I wanted to show that I had this question. <laughs> what a great question it was. I would dictate kind of like, oh, no, I think we should do this, guys. Because, like, obviously I know what everyone else needs, of course. And over the next two weeks, I was just, you know, the Lord worked powerfully in me. He convicted me of my sin and exposed me to its ugliness. And what I started to do was actually, I got out a little journal. This is like sort of attacking the sin. I wrote down like every time something happened related to this sin of vanity and, and pride. And I got up to about 65 accounts in one week. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is too much. But it led me to realize just of how deeply entrenched this sin was. And it led me to realize, I want to put this off. Because it wasn't just like tame. It was verses 17 through 19. I saw how darkened and corrupt and callous and hardened of heart I'd become. 
And then I wanted to renew my mind with Scripture, so I was desperately searching for new Scriptures and, and places to go to help me to see, to count others more significant than myself and to actually believe that, like they are more significant than you. That was hard for me to believe. It's a shameful thing for me to admit. To treat others' interests with more concern than my own and having to memorize Scripture after Scripture and slowly, bit by bit, putting on selflessness. Putting on honoring one another, putting on letting other people choose and decide. And bit by bit, I saw a change in my life. Now, I still struggle with it, I still am prideful and vain and think of myself as too significant. But I've seen the Lord at work through the divine changing room, putting off old sins, renewing my mind so that I hate it and I love the righteous way, and putting on the righteous way and seeing the fruit. Because knowing Christ, brothers and sisters, demands total, total change from our whole life. A total transformation in our view. And God promises us, and God gives this to us as He gives, so that we can live like Him. The whole point is not for our pride or our vanity or for to show off, it's so that we can be like Him and enjoy His presence and goodness in the light of His Son, Jesus Christ. So we must change. We've been given steps to change. But now it's up to each one of us, by the grace of God, not in your own power or flesh, and not on your own, to go into the divine changing room, to put off, to be renewed, and to put on a new self. And I'm looking forward to seeing the balance. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God, I pray and ask that you would work in us, that as a little church, we would become more and more holy. I thank you that your son died for all of our old old self, that the penalty is been paid, the power is broken. And Lord, would you bit by bit remove the presence of sin from our lives? Would we be totally changed? Would we live in the newness of life? And as we study these next chapters and we get hammered by you know, the new way of living, may it actually be grace to us. Maybe love it. Maybe want to become more like us on Jesus. Would we imitate him and walk in love? God, we need your Holy Spirit to do it. We admit, as a church, right now, we cannot do it. We have no power for lasting change. We can. And so, God, would you fill our hearts with a new vision, a new desire, a new energy to put sin to death. And may all be for your glory and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.